This is a HeadGum Podcast. This is why, this is why, pop culture, politics, friendship, dating, work, parenting, news. This is why, the podcast. Welcome to the This Is Why podcast. I'm journalist, author, and comedy writer, Laura Lane. And I'm author and editor Angela Sparrow. We are the co-writers of the book, This Is Why You're Single. Every week we give best friend advice on topics including pop culture, news, friendship, dating, workplace dynamics, parenting, and whatever else is on your mind. This week's episode is called Mental Health and Staying Brave. We will be answering your listener questions, including one listener who feels like she's her boss's therapist and another listener who is newly dating someone struggling with their mental health. Then we're talking about what's in the news, making friends during a pandemic, and another stupid gender reveal goes wrong. But first, we want to welcome this week's guest. Alexi Pappas is an award-winning writer, filmmaker, and Olympic athlete. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, The Atlantic, among other publications. She co-wrote, co-directed, and starred in the feature film Track Town with Rachel Dratch and Andy Buckley. She's also, she also co-wrote and starred alongside Nick Kroll in Olympic Dreams, the first non-documentary style movie to ever be filmed at the Olympic Games. She is a Greek-American and holds the Greek national record in the 10,000 meters and competed for Greece in the 2016 Olympics. And now, on top of all that, she is an author. Her new book, Bravey, is out now. Welcome to the show, Alexi. Thank you for having me. I am happy to be here. So first, a little bit about our How We Met story. I met Alexi in Greece while I was on my honeymoon. Nick and I went to visit the Olympic track in Athens, and I was pretending in a very cool way to race on the track like I did in high school track and field, and Nick was taking pictures of me being an idiot, and Alexi came up to us and asked if we would take a photo of her, and we were like, yeah, of course. Will you take a photo of us? We're on our honeymoon. And what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I'm an Olympian and I'm going to be competing in the actual Olympics. And we're like, oh my God, forget about our honeymoon. Like, yes, we'll take a picture of you. Forget us. I feel really stupid. We even asked you to take a picture of us. Um, But you were like the coolest person ever. And then we stayed in touch and I love our how we met story. But do you remember, do you remember at all our how we met story? Oh, yeah, I definitely remember because I feel like, first of all, I met, I met so few people when I went over there, because when I go to Greece, it's like I'm going for a training camp. I'm usually like deep in a training, uh, like in the mountains or something. And, and sometimes we'll stop in Athens because I land there. And we did this like little detour to the track. And so of course, I met one of the 10 people I met on that entire I remember meeting one of the 10 people I met on that entire trip and also I felt excited to meet you because I later found out what you and your life is and I find it very you know like fun and inspiring to me oh so God. I don't even you're like the coolest you guys person. yeah you and too. I, I felt the same way I was like and then I think you were li- were you living in Brooklyn at the time maybe because now you're so, in LA right I'm in LA now my my husband lived in New York, maybe at the time, but I've never lived there. I've spent time there. My brother lives there. I have, you know, roots there, but I don't live. I've never lived there. Oh, okay. Well, I, yeah, I think I, I like looked you up immediately. I was like, and Nick and I were like, oh my God, she's so cool. She like, she's also a filmmaker and she was like, and we were like deep in the comedy world at the time. And we're like, and she knows all these cool yeah. comedians and she's like 
So um, it was a nice connection. And then here we are like five years later, which is nuts. Um, or six years later. So tell us about your experience at the Olympics in 2016, which was what you were in Greece training for. Yes, it was, you know, I, I feel like honestly, the best way to describe it is when you have looked up to someone for your whole life. So what I think about when I was little were like the Spice Girls or Britney Spears or Mia Hamm. And then you finally meet them, which you there's no guarantee that you will ever meet those people. Um, and I never met any of those people. But the Olympics is like that. And you hope that they will meet your expectations or exceed your expectations. And you certainly hope that they won't fall short. And what I felt like was that the Olympics exceeded my expectations. It was like a carnival and a concert and a birthday party all in one. But I honestly think that that was partly because I tried to embrace it as something different than everything else in my life. And I think that's the biggest difference I saw was people who embraced that it was challenging and different and going to bring, you know, new experiences did well. And the people who tried to make it like any other sporting event that they'd been to found it, you know, challenging. Oh, that's interesting. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Like in what, in what way they just found like the spectacle challenging and maybe like a, like too many like outside stimuli in a way that that normal events don't have kind of well that but I think you're thinking about it in in the perspective of a spectator but for the athlete like so much of your time is in the village right Mm. and it's trying to find like a life in the village and a routine and you you know for example let's talk about like coffee for example like a lot of athletes like drink coffee in the morning and if you found it troubling that the coffee in the dining hall wasn't super good or the machines would break and you took that as a reason why you weren't going to do well in your race then that's the way your race was going to go or your competition and I think I found like humor in those things or I was like okay I heard a rumor that there's an espresso puller in the bank that's in the village and I ventured to find the best coffee in the village that way and I think it was just like trying to take it on as like this is my big adventure Versus like all these things are reasons why it's going to be hard to compete at my best. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Do you attribute that to it being your first time there? Or do you think that's just your personality? I think it was both. I think it's in my personality to try to see things in my favor no matter what. Because it feels like the most useful way to see the world. Where like, you know, even if I fall down on a run, I try to create a narrative where it's like well I was meant to slow down that day and like somebody else might be like well this rock and this trail hates me and so I think it's in my personality um and I think I would feel that way at another Olympics even if it wasn't my first um but it's just choices right to see similar circumstances differently were you training for the I mean I haven't been following that closely but there was supposed to be an Olympics like (laughs) 2020 right that's gonna happen didn't happen not in 2020 but were you it didn't happen yeah it didn't didn't Um, happen for obvious reasons so I speaking of Greece I went over to Greece about a year ago exactly and planned on training for a race to qualify for the Olympics that we thought were going to be last summer and I ended up 
getting stuck over there for five months because of covid because when i when i got there it was like italy was right next door and italy was really bad about a year ago and greece took really intense precautions to like shut the borders down and quarantine everyone and so i like my and during that time the olympics got postponed and so my whole world felt like it kind of went upside down um and it ended up being this experience living there that i've never had you know i've been there for maybe a month at a time but never longer and it was really interesting it was like you know i i needed to plant roots in this new place and like learn where to get you know groceries and my computer fix when it broke and things like that um not to digress from our olympic no, conversation no that's okay i was supposed but... to be in greece also more just for a couple weeks and I'm, it's my favorite place in the world. So Is it? We, maybe we would have ran into each other if I had gone on my trip and there was no COVID, but so many would have, could have, should have of the last year. Yeah. Love to think about the alternate timeline. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And you like, well, I, do you feel like you're someone who, well, both of you, like who will like turn it into an opportunity when you, when something changes, like, does it like, what is it? I I think this year, the changes of this year in particular have been really hard for me to navigate because of like, yeah, the Angel's wedding got canceled. Well, (laughs) no, but like in general, like I feel like I have had a hard time adapting and like I do compare my ability to adapt in this situation to other people. Like it does feel like a a kind of mental health competition uh, lately because like even you and I, Laura, were talking recently about um, something where you were like, wow, it's like still really hitting you hard. And I was like, yeah, it's weird how everybody's like at a different place like on this journey right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like conflicted because there's been so many highs and so many low lows. Like, like on the low lows, I had like three friends die this year and like my book tour got canceled, which was just something I'd been working on for like two or three years. So it was almost like, yeah, Yeah. I'm sure how like, I mean, not the same, but, but like Olympic athletes, you work towards something and then it's like, you spend like six months of like detailed planning and it falls apart. So that was sad. The three friends, it's like, I can't even... I don't even like know how to properly mourn that that situation. But then there's been like a lot of like really cool things that have happened and like really beautiful things. And like I got pregnant again and like so far things have, are going well. And like we've had some, I don't know, like other cool personal and even career opportunities that have happened. So it's been like just like a weird mix. And I feel very like fortunate in some ways and then just like totally devastated about other sad things that have happened um so yeah it's been like it's been like a mix but overall it's been a lesson though in how we deal with change for sure I do think I've been like Mm -hmm. adapting really like I'm like oh I like love my online workouts now (laughs) and like and like maybe I don't need to be as social as I thought I did and like I've found other ways to stay in touch with friends like because I need um I need like to be social in order to feel okay in the head um yeah 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 which which brings me to like I was so excited when you sent us your book because I I find it so rare to find someone that's so open about mental health issues which is like so timely right now with there's a big huge with COVID and isolation and 
I mean, everything, like people losing their jobs, like parents having to take care of uh, like children and work full time. Like mental health is like a huge problem right now. And it's still a taboo. So I find it so rare for someone to be so open about mental health issues. And it's something that we try to talk a lot about on the show. And we're like very transparent about like our own our own stuff. Um, But you have like your journey is like has been just so like just the the pinnacle of like highs and lows like when you were four years old you write about how your mother died by suicide and your father signed you up for sports to kind of I guess as some kind of escape and then that led of course many years later to the Olympics so I guess can you tell me a little bit more about what it was like to write about such vulnerable experiences in your book and kind of make sense of your own story yeah, well, I think you can probably, you know, relate in writing your own book that the person who writes the book always knows more than the person in the book. And, and like, of course, myself now knows even more than the person who wrote the book. Like, we're growing. We're always growing. And so it's always um, easier, I think, to write about it after you've, like, gone through and survived the experiences. And I certainly didn't write it during the most challenging moments of my life. I think that would have been impossible. And, but I think it is always easier to be honest than to be vague. Like some people are like, you're so detailed. There's so much detail. And it's like, well, I think that is easier because it's the truth. It would be harder to like paint a broader stroke for me. Mm-hmm. And also I think it would be less effective in communicating. And the truth is that a memoir is not, you know, it's not a diary. It's not a journal. It's meant to be read. And I think I recognized that as like the ultimate challenge and joy of writing it was trying to translate experiences in a way that might um, make sense to people and in a way that might give people vocabulary that I learned sometimes the hard way um, and that saved my life eventually, you know, when I had like a, a depression myself after the Olympics. And I wish that I knew some of the things a little earlier. And I think maybe that's why some people write books where they're like, maybe this will help someone. Um, But also, like you said, I've been to like some of the lowest lows and some of the like highest highs. And I hope that that means that I might reach somebody um, who falls within those like that, you know, wingspan and someone who might remind me of me when I was little and just kind of looking for mentorship when I didn't have one of the mentors that some people have in a mother. I've, I I really connect with your story because I feel like I spent my whole life like fighting against my genes because clinical depression runs in, runs in oh. my family. And um, yeah, you're, you have such a powerful story. You made an amazing video for the New York Times where you talk about kind of what you just mentioned, how after the Olympics you went into depression that took a lot of work to get out of. I can't even imagine what a high the Olympics were. I can definitely relate to coming off of other highs and feeling very lost or low, like, like similar to what you described, you even described like after you finished a film. Um, and like after, after I finished both books, like, you know, press and like, like I felt just very low, like, like I'm never going to write anything ever again. That was it. Who am I? What is my identity? What am I doing next? um, postpartum anxiety and depression. Another thing, like you're so, I'm so excited for a baby. Like all I want is a baby. Like I didn't know if I could have a baby. 
And then, and then you're like, why do I feel so low? Like, like it's something you look like I've looked forward to for so long. So I could relate to that. And you write that it's common for athletes, regardless if they win or lose. And that I found very fascinating. You also mentioned later on in the book that it happened to Jimmy Kimmel after hosting the Oscars. I don't know. I I, I just want to know. Yeah. Tell me about uh, more about your experience and like why you think the depression episode hit after the Olympics, something you looked forward to for your whole life? Yeah, well, so it's interesting because I'm learning that there's more and more vocabulary to understanding like the moment after a big dream has come true, whether the dream is giving birth or it's an Olympics or it's a film or it's any other like things that we are working for a long time and anticipating. There's a moment after which can be more than a moment. It can be months where there's you know, an adrenal fatigue and chemical like things that need to normalize. And and it all makes sense. But so few Olympians, and I think so few of us in other circumstances like this are prepared for it. And so when, and we've never thought about the moment after the Olympics. Like, No, I've never heard about this until after you talked about it in this video that like, wow, every athlete probably after the Super Bowl, I like, after I like read, watch your thing, I was like, wow, all of these athletes on the winning team and losing team are probably going to like, not all of them, but but a large amount might might feel depressed afterwards because yeah, there's not a vote. They don't talk about it enough. Yeah, and and we're and and that makes sense because your coach or the people need to prepare you for that moment, not the moment after. However, the moment after it can be so disorienting because I found myself, um, you know, unhealthily just not being able to slow down and wanting the next goal, and so I just almost sped up. I didn't even stay the same. It was like, what is the next thing? And I want to be started yesterday. And I tried. And I think, you know, our bodies will, you know, become overloaded if if we press on them so much. And I say our bodies, including my brain as a body part, right? So everything was like on overdrive. And it was inevitable that there would be some sort of like repercussion if I didn't respect that, that lull. And I think, um, like the the feeling of of depression could have been not such a crisis if I had just you know taken action right away to respect that like a marshmallow that's the only way I can think of it like I would reinflate in time like when you squeeze a marshmallow but I was like a raisin you know eventually so squeezed so dry you know um, <laughs> it's a gross thing to say. No, that's, I love the visuality yeah. of that. We all want marshmallow brains. That's the ideal. I read an interview with you where you said that like as an athlete, it helped you. Like you said, to think of your brain as a body part that was injured. Like you can get a sprained ankle and you go to a physical therapist and you fix that. And like you said, it clicked for you thinking of your brain being something that was broken and needed to be healed. Yeah. it. I mean, it saved my life literally because – I think, and you know, I I feel like maybe people who have history of mental illness in their family, you know, as you shared, have this fear of like, what if it happens to me? What am I going to do? And if you don't have the experience of somebody getting out of it okay, and you just have the narrative, which was fed to me, which was that like, my mom was just so sick that she had to go. And I was like, what? Like, how, what if it happens to me? Will I become like so sick that I have to go? And so then I finally met this doctor who was like, no, no, like you're injured. 
you're sick, you're injured, and it's like a scratch on your brain. And it can get, you know, your brain can get injured like any other thing. And it can also heal like any other body part. And that was mind blowing to me because we know, I think more than ever in this, you know, day and age to take care of our bodies. Like it's something that people are doing more and more. Um, and we don't feel shame about it. We don't expect that if we break our leg, that it's going to heal tomorrow. We don't point to someone who has a broken leg and say, fix that by tomorrow. Cause it's just like clearly impossible. And I think with mental health, that just, you know, made it so much more possible for me to feel like I could heal. Yeah. We don't blame people with a broken leg either, where I feel like with mental health, there's a lot of like, you're not doing enough to help yourself kind of thing is like what I've felt or, um, and yeah, like, yeah, I, I will use that visual of like a scratch on the brain when I, because I am, I'm like terrified to give birth again. Cause I'm like, I'm like, God, that like that right afterwards it was like oh my god I've never felt worse in my whole life you know right like, like yeah and even though you you know, people tell you like this will pass this will pass I remember my friend saying like just three months three months I was like three fucking months like how am I gonna get through today you know yeah. like yeah like, yeah how will I get through today like three months and like now someone you know like I'm doing like three months like nothing I'm like three months like oh yeah flies by but when you're feeling bad, three months is a very long time. Yeah. And it's, well, it's interesting you say that people are like, you didn't do enough or they're blaming, because I do think that there's actions that we need to take when we're, when we're sick, like, or when we're injured, whether it's our brain or our leg is broken, but actions can be, you know, rest, like they can be, there's a lot of things, but to, to count every effort that you're doing as an action and knowing that the only thing that's going to change our feelings are our actions. Even if the action is like, you have to wait, that's still an action. You're still doing something. Right. right? And I think that's important to recognize so that we know that we do have some agency, you know, it's not actually so out of our hands. We have actions we can do and the actions are going to change the thoughts, which are going to change the feelings. Right. Yeah, I remember my mom made me like a list after and I like I just need to like follow a list and it was like talk to friends, pet the dog, yeah. like go to acupuncture, take a walk outside, like do yoga. Um, like, like it was like all these things that like that helped. What what helped you get out of it? Um, yeah. Or feel, oh my gosh. start to feel better. I love that you had a list. I mean, that's great. It's still, ta- it's still taped up. <laughs> that's so nice. Because all we want to do is like tick boxes, you know, like we want to feel like we're doing things. So I love that. Um, So for me, I, my actions when I was like, really, I mean, I was, so I had like a situational depression, which is like, when you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And then you feel like you've fallen off a cliff, and you can be fine again. So it wasn't like a depression that was like chronic or going to necessarily last, but I needed to take actions that were pretty maybe more extreme than some people take. So like I was put on some medication as like a catalyst. I met with a psychiatrist, psychologist, same person who did both, um, who did cognitive behavioral therapy. And I met with him three times a week or more as if he was my coach. And I did what he said. And what I found was that not everything he told me to do felt useful but I needed to at least try and then like report back. So, 
you know, he'd be like, let's go for a walk or let's uh, try this breathing exercise, um, this and that. And I think that's an important thing to share because like seeing a PT, you know, if you're healing like a torn or strained hamstring, not every PT exercise is going to resonate with every person. You might have to try something else. And I think the worst feeling is feeling like you're unhelpable. And so I also needed to hear from him, look, not all this, not all these actions are going to be useful to you. But the word that he focused on is let's focus on what's useful. So for me, it was trying to sleep again. And I had to take pills to help me sleep at first. It was seeing him. It was, um, you know, different. I, I had to write down things over and over again to try to like change my incessant, like, just like the thoughts that I was having. Were you a journaler um, before? Because like you said, your book is so detailed. Do, do you journal throughout your life to, and were you able to like go back and, and look at any of that? Or was this all from memory? Um, the book was, was from memory mostly. Um, the journaling, I mean, I did a lot of journaling during my depression because it was like, I learned best when I write things down. So I was trying to write down the epiphanies I was learning from this doctor. I, you know, I'm, I started this thing afterwards, which was, I wanted to write down what I do every day, not necessarily how I feel, but I was just like, one day I'll want to know, like, what did I do with all my days? Yeah, because when yeah, I think yeah. about like, do you ever think about like when I was eight years old, like what was my day? You know, like what love did know. we do? Yeah. I right. Because yeah. I don't trust my memory. Yeah. I actually, I love I have a that your calendar. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I love that you're like saying exactly like how you journal and what you journal. Because my therapist recently recommended journaling, and I'm such like a rules person that I was like, okay, like when and how, like when and how should I do it? And she was like, there's no just write stuff <laughs> I was like oh, but like but 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 like bulleted or <laughs> but no, bulleted but bulleted but bulleted like, I love you what is a, a flow chart a perhaps paragraph, a Venn well, diagram you're smart. <laughs> you're smart to want instruction because we don't like th- this is not my advice this is advice that I read but I think it's like really worthy advice and it was I don't know what book it was it might have been atomic habits it was one of those books and they were like if you want to incorporate a new routine you need to stack it on top of an old routine you can't just like be like now I'm gonna journal because then you haven't like placed it anywhere in your day and and he was like you need to be super specific so you can't be like I'm gonna journal at lunch you need to be like nope it's the moment after I close my laptop before I eat my lunch I journal or like I do push-ups or whatever the habit is And I thought that was like very good advice because otherwise we don't have any, we need to like place it in a really specific part of another, like on the piggy back on another routine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that you described your book as like, you're like, it's not a diary. Like it's a memoir. It's like certain moments. And, you know, I didn't write this like while I was going through the thing. And I found that really interesting. Like I recently wrote this really long piece about like being a high risk pregnancy and like my miscarriage. And I had pitched that piece, like kind of like I was like journaling a lot, like during that, when I like first found out this like news about my body and right after the miscarriage. And I, I like tried Mm -hmm. to write it as a cohesive piece and like pitch it kind of shortly after. And it like, it probably felt more like a diary. And then now like two years out or like two and a half years out after I've kind of like had some space from 
the time, I was able to like go back and like shape the piece into something that like hopefully it doesn't read like a diary and is maybe like a little more readable. But I think mm-hmm. that just like in terms of I'm always fascinated in like the process of also like of writing and the fact that um that you you explained like the way you think about the memoir is like not being a journal or not being a diary and it also not being you've had like time to reflect I found really interesting because yeah you write about these like really tough moments but you also write about it with so much humor and and um and and like like yeah just like total readability like it's just like a like a great read at the same time um and it does show like you've had like perspective in a way I don't know if any of that's making sense but well it it does make sense and it's it's written I tried I think the best I love essays so I tried to write I wrote essays because I enjoy essays um but I think the best part about essays is that you can try to land at the like conclusion of whatever the essay is like the emotional arc with your reader. Like it's the most satisfying thing when the way that it began, what the way that a chapter begins, you know, this is just like in general, when I read essays, like the way that it begins is not the way that it ends and you arrive there at the same time. Mm. I mean, that's like, it's like, those are the best essays where you don't give away the, the conclusion at the beginning, you know, that's like next level essays. And I tried you and that did. Was like a- you succeeded. Like even like the the feeding the ducks one, which is like one of like the like the hardest reads, but it like bookends in like two. Like you don't know where it's going, and and then at the end you're you're just like like out of a mo- you're just like oh my god, my soul's been like dropped from my body. But yeah, you you did exactly what you ju- what you set out to do. Thank you. Well, that means a lot coming from you. You. You writer, you. <laughs> I mean, my last book was about princesses and fairy tales. So you tell that. So I'm in much, I'm in deep admiration being able to um, make sense of your whole life, which maybe one day I'll be able to have the guts to do. But for now, we're going to talk so much more later on in the podcast, more about Alexi's book, because we have a lot more to unpack and discuss. We're going to talk more about her mental health journey, what it means to be bravey. But for now, we're going to jump into our mailbox and hopefully help some of our listeners out. First, we're going to take a very quick sponsor break. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Organifi. Organifi's line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. This is my kind of thing, Angela, because I'm all about making smoothies in the morning, and now so are you. I am. I like a smoothie bowl which, you know, it's just a little, it's a smoothie that you eat with a spoon. I am all about that too. I'm all about that (laughs) smoothie bowl life. A little (laughs) granola, a little coconut on top. Okay. Tell us. Yeah. That's, I'm into toppings, you know, that's why I like to eat it with the spoon. Yeah. Uh, But I put my powders in. I'm into the powders. So tell us about the Organifi powders that are making your smoothie bowls a little extra special. Well, first of all, they're convenient. Each superfood blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, providing you with quality nutrition throughout your day. Tastes great. Or Organifi takes pride and care in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market. They don't compromise quality for taste. All their products 
are less than three grams of sugar, and it's less than $3 per day. So Organifi strives to keep prices as low as possible. Which we always appreciate. They have all different kinds. They've got the green juice, the red juice, but I'm all about that Organifi Gold. Gold is a delicious superfood tea that contains powerful superfoods and mushrooms to help you relax so you can wake up feeling refreshed and energized. Mushrooms, Angela, are like magical superfood. So You're I like, doing magic mushrooms. I am doing the magic mushrooms. Um, they're USDA, organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, clinically proven green ingredients, 100% organic, whole food, basically all the things you want. And we're hooking it up as always. Head to Organifi.com slash this is why and use code this is why to get 15% off all orders. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash this is why and use code this is why to get 15% off all orders. All right, Angela, what do we have in the mailbox this week? What have we been emailed or lately more DM'd? Yes, we, they're both DMs from Instagram, um, and they're great questions. They I know I'm are, learning. People don't like to email questions no, anymore. No, we're they old want, farts that we expect people to email us. I know. No why have we emailing. been? Why have Why have the after the seconds I keep saying like this is our email? Every they just want a DM, which is cool. I'm down with that. Yeah, we read our DMs, yeah. um, and we got two great questions this week. They are both about mental health, so we thought it would be great to have Alexi help us answer. Um, so they're both anonymous. The first one says. From my experience, I am the one teaching my boss the importance of mental health these days because from the beginning of this pandemic, I was expecting a lot of anxiety attacks and it was affecting my work. How can employers learn to take how can employers learn to take the importance of mental health seriously? Alexi. I am to answer this. We're all going <laughs> well, we to answer not to put the pressure on you. We're all going to answer. Yeah. We're all going to answer well, together. So she's saying so her so she feels like she needs to tell her boss how important mental health is because her boss is not making it a priority in the workplace is what Which she's is getting at. surprising. No, no, it's not. So she, so from the beginning of the pandemic, she says she, I, I think she says she, she writes, she was expecting a lot of anxiety attacks. I, I'm going to guess that's a typo. And she meant to say I was experiencing a lot yeah. of anxiety attacks. So she was probably, she, so I think she said she was experiencing a lot of anxiety attacks. It was affecting her work. And she wants to kind of teach her boss that, like, you need to be aware of your employer's mental mental health. And I guess, like, one of the ways employers can do it is, I think, by having, like, you know, it's it's really hard because it's a fine line. Like, you want to get to know your employers and you should, like, know where they're at and, like, know that they are fully formed people with, like, lives outside of work and, like, take that into account, know what's going on. At the same time, like, I don't want to have to tell my boss everything going on in my life, you know? Um, at the very least, I think you just need to check in, like, uh, how are you doing? Workplaces need to offer, like, better coverage of mental health and their insurance policies would be, like, one of the biggest things. And, like, and then, like, it, it, at times like this, I think a lot of workplaces, they're, they're offering counseling. Like, some of them have, when I worked at He Entertainment of all places, but they they would have, like... They would have like wellness days where they would have like like a big fair and they would have like an acupuncturist and like and like and, and like food places. But like and like I, I don't remember there being like I don't think they had like a therapist you could like check in with, but they would have like a massage place and like just things that kind of like help make the workplace like a little more calmer and like taking a breaks and um, 
a little like wellness. So that was always nice. I don't know that that's just like my very first instinct um, is like making it a part of your insurance policy and like prioritizing it. Um, and I think at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of companies were bringing in like third party um, speakers or therapists um, to to talk to the team and like people could submit questions anonymously. I mean, I think that's if you're lucky to be at a company that's really valuing mental health. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't – I think like, yeah, you can't expect your boss to be an expert in this field. But when you're not an expert, you should seek out an expert. That's great advice. Yeah. So like if you're in the position where you are the employer, I think, yeah, bring looking into like bringing someone in to talk to your team is great. Yeah. Alexi, from I, like the yeah. sports world, like what do you think, I guess, would this be the role – like translating this to sports world, would this be the role of like the coach to be in charge of – talking about this with their with their yeah. athletes or bringing people in or how how does this connect do you think into your your work workspace yeah well okay i think there are a couple things like one the ideally a coach or an employer would just start to treat the brain like they would a body part meaning like if somebody had uh, like needed to take time for an injury or surgery or something in the workplace, whether they're an employee, like they're an athlete or other business, I think uh, an employer would like respect that because there's something really visual and there's an injury and there's pain. And it's hard when there are mental health injuries because they're invisible, right? And so no one's like wearing a cast on their head. So I get that it's it's difficult, but I think it starts with recognizing that. However, with this particular question, this person is wondering like, what do I do about my boss? And I think the truth is that we can't change people or make it our mandate to change everybody's mind right now over protecting ourselves. I think like the first thing is like needing to address whatever your needs are, this person who's having anxiety attacks. And I think what that means is that the boss doesn't actually, you know, just like you said, the boss doesn't need to know everything, but they do need to know um, like what you need specifically and i think trying to boil it down to like um you know for personal reasons i like wanted to ask about fridays off or i i have a doctor's appointment and you can blame like you don't have to say what kind of doctor it is like right. i will to be honest like when i have meetings i i i have i have to nap when i'm in intense training and nobody recognizes a nap as like a worthy thing to not schedule something over so I say that I have a meeting or a doctor's appointment and nobody is like, I'm like, yeah, I got my meeting with my bed. And <laughs> so I think that like, this I think that like, great right, sometimes you, you just have to advocate in the ways you know how without having your goal be that they understand mental health. You just need to get the help you need to get first. And hopefully they understand mental health, but they will certainly understand a doctor's appointment or something else. And I think at the very least, do what you need to do to get yourself on your feet um without having don't i think like know what your primary goal is which i think is your health um and then i think with the insurance thing that you were talking about when you talk about it i think it's so important to like lead from behind meaning talk about it as if it's not going to be a conflict like it will like i, I think if i were to bring it up i'd be like so like um, I'm wondering like what part of this health insurance will cover my psychologist 
Like, instead of being like, look, there's an issue here because there isn't, like, I would play dumb a little bit and be like, which would, like. Like, assume, is, assume the best. Assume, like, like, exactly. Yeah, like, phrase it in a way that assumes it w- it is covered. Yes. And, and ask it, uh, ask it in a positive way so it doesn't sound confrontational. Or ask it in, as if, as if, like, it, they as didn't realize that it, it didn't. Is. Right, yes, right, right. Of course, oh, as if it does it should be. Yeah, exactly. Because that also like eliminates any humiliation for them. Like the point yeah, isn't yeah. to humiliate our boss; it's to like lead them in a way that lets them kindly correct their misunderstanding or like other, you know, like poor decision making. Um, yeah, is brilliant advice. <laughs> This yeah. is all I want Alexi as my therapist. Um <laughs> All right. What else do we have in the mailbox, Angela? Because um, okay. Next is another anonymous listener and they write how to deal with dating somebody who is bipolar manic depressive. Um I just started a relationship with someone who suffers with this. He's an amazing person, but the shifts in mood are definitely hard to deal with. I know it's not his fault, so I try my best to be understanding, but I'm wondering if I'm sacrificing my happiness to help him through his episodes. He is currently not on medication, but willing to start some once he has medical insurance. He does have concerns about medication, as in the past, it has made him feel nothing like a zombie. Hmm. I mean, I think... Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no. You go. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't help somebody that's not willing to help themselves. It sounds like he's open to it. I think it sounds, I'm not obviously a psychiatrist that can like, <laughs> that knows about medications, but I'm some, I, I do know from people in my life being on medication. And uh, when I was a teenager, I had tried different ones and some did make me feel like nothing um, that you ha- sometimes have to try different things and it's like a chemical thing. So maybe he needs to have a different discussion with his doctor. Number one. Um, I don't know when my close friends is married to someone that she discovered after they got married that he's bipolar and like, it was like a journey that they went on where together and like he got the help and like found through physical activity that he that that was really helpful in terms of um like endorphins and medication and like therapy and like finding the right combination so you know de- you know you, you you write it sounds like you really do care about this person you said he's an amazing person um and the sh- the shifts are hard to deal with i think you know hopefully you that you guys if if he's like that important to you in your life and like brings brings a lot of joy then like you can help him through this and like I don't know I I, I mean my friend I don't know I all I know is like my I'm not like the best (laughs) when Nick's feeling like sad I'm not I never really know what to say I have my instinct is like to solve people's problems and sometimes people just want to talk so I I don't know if I'm like the best when someone's feeling down. I don't know if I've always been like the best partner, to be honest. I feel like I'm talking in circles. and I don't really know if I'm the best person to answer this question because when people are <laughs> feeling down, sometimes I'm just like, this is what you should do to, to like help yourself. I'm like a fixer. And yeah. sometimes people just want to talk. <laughs> I'm learning. Well, I also think the longer you're with someone, the more you get to know like what helps them and what they respond to and yeah. This is a new relationship, so that makes it all the more difficult. Like it's gonna be difficult anyway. Yeah. But like 
when you're first dating somebody, you're so worried about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, and then you throw this into it. It's com- it's it's hard to navigate yeah. for sure. <clears throat> um, yeah. What what would you do, Angela, if you were in her situation? Especially if it was I somebody, mean, it was a new relation. I think that's what I'm having like a tricky time on. It's like a new relationship, you know. It's definitely going to be different early on in a relationship than the way you navigate it like seven years into a relationship. So, I mean, like maybe you're not going to put the effort in or you're going to make more mistakes than you would and you just have to like be okay with the fact that like the way you're handling it is not perfect. But as long as like your heart is in the right place, things are going well. Like for me, like like my partner takes antidepressants because of his sleeping problems and – it is like it's like you know you don't want the cure to be worse than the disease, and sometimes the different medications he takes has made him not feel great or like feel zombie like the next day. And it's when you're in a good mood and the other person isn't, it's hard. It's like hard to not feel selfish when you're like, can't you just be happy today? You know, like I yes. feel happy. Can't you just feel happy today? Because like I think like. of the time you can be totally understanding and a great partner, but you're going to hit a wall because you're a human too and you're going to fail on those. I don't want to say fail because it's human and normal, but like you're not going to be the best partner. You're going to feel shitty about how you respond because you're going to be like, I'm tired of you feeling sad. I want you to be happy because life is hard enough without the struggle. Um, But I think like have that moment, show your ugly side. And then, like, talk through it, you know, like, explain why you reacted that way. Um, And, like, hopefully they'll understand. And just, like, tomorrow tomorrow you'll be better. But, like, allow yourself the days. Give yourself grace days where you don't respond the best and learn from them. That's what I would say. I think those answers are great. I think what I'm hearing from both of you is like, all you can ask of yourself is that you try your best. And all you can ask of your partner is that they try their best. And so if, if there's like a shift needed and what kind of help he's getting, then like, try your best to like, for him to shift and get the help that he needs. But the the difficult days, you know, we're still gonna like give 100%, even if it's 100% of crap. And like, I think um, we can we can enjoy a, a difficult day even if it feels really, really awful if we give ourselves the credit that we're trying our best. I think that's the feeling that we all want before we go to sleep at night is like, did I try my best? And like, can that be good enough for me even if my best isn't the same every single day? I love that. Yeah. Um, and it resonates with me. Well, we hope this was helpful for our listeners, too, and it resonates with them. If any of you guys want your questions answered, you can email us, even though I think nobody uses email anymore, but contact at thisiswhythepodcast.com, or you can DM us like our the people that wrote in today did, and our Instagram is what? Is it This Is Why The Pod, Angela? It You're keeps the- changing. Uh, <laughs> we are now, yes, we are at this is oh, no. We're this is why podcast okay, at this great. is why podcast. Great, this is why podcast. No the, um, no the. Either way, you can find all of our contact info on our website, email, Instagram, Twitter, all of that at this is why the Next, we're going to talk about what we've been reading on the news. But first, let's thank our sponsors. 
All right, Angela, what have you been reading this week? The New York Times is reporting on how to find and keep new friends during the pandemic. Um, I have to be honest, I, I miss my friends a lot, but I have, I've been lucky enough that we've been in touch a lot. But I've been thinking about lately how like when all the dust settles and we're all able to see each other again, like people are all going to be in different places, if not literally like different place, like moving. Uh, like I have friends that like we're going to emerge out of this like almost two years of pandemic and they're going to be like ha- having kids and, you know, I mean, having kids is, big, is a far enough departure from myself. And it's going to be weird. It's going to like shift our friendship and I might have to find some new friends to add to the mix. So this was an interesting read. Um, obviously, you can't just like meet people the way you used to and like join an intramural league or something. So what were the these, what were the top tips that you found helpful? These were their tips from experts. Oh, okay. Uh, experts. Yes, okay. from friendship experts. Um, they say get creative about meeting prospective friends. Um, the first question you ask yourself is is there someone you want to reconnect with? So maybe just kind of recycle an old person, somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while. Um, I don't know about this because I feel like if I haven't spoken to them in a while, there might be a reason. But there could be an old colleague, you know, an old work person that you No, I like with. this. I have a lot of like kind of, I guess what they call dormant ties that yeah. like, it's like, they're like more like loose ties. And then sometimes it's like people have come like in and out of my life, like, we kind of grow apart or friend. Like I've had a bunch of friends move out of New York during the pandemic. Some of the like more dormant ties that I've always been like very friendly with. Um, maybe we find that we're in more similar places and we reconnect. That happened with somebody from college that I maybe talked to like twice in the last 10 years. And then like turns out like she has a house near mine and is also pregnant with her second second son. And so it's like, cool, we're going to hang all the fucking time. Or like somebody's writing like, Oh, and she's, and she's an author. So I'm like, great. This is great. Like we have just like so much in common. I hope our husbands like each other (laughs) and like, or, or just like, I mean, that happens to be, we're in like very similar life places, but, but regardless of that, I reconnect with someone who I realize like our interests just align and maybe, you know, so I I like the door. I like the dormant, I like the dormant ties idea. Um, if, if you aren't into the dormant ties idea, there's also apparently virtual book clubs are huge right now. So you can find a virtual book club to join. Um, they also say stay connected, writing letters, sending voice memos, uh, keep in touch with people that maybe that you are good friends with, but find creative ways to continue staying in touch. I really like the suggestion that they say, um, avoid communicating over the same airwaves you use for work, which is like something that I have found is true. Like, I can't do one more Zoom because I associate it with like not fun things. (laughs) So they say instead of doing that, like write a letter or use a different video service. I don't know. Um, And it's great to support the postal service. So, How do you stay in touch with your friends, Alexi, or like when you were in Greece for those five months? Yeah. Just – Honestly, I well, I used to have an email chain with my all my best friends who are from childhood, but we switched it to like a WhatsApp when people started to be all over the place. And I actually liked it more because it felt like someone could message something pretty insignificant on it, like a bird just pooped in my head, or they could be like, <laughs> I'm moving, you know, it could be like big or little news. And it was like worthy of a little message. 
And I liked that because that makes you feel like you're more with people if you yes. like the see a picture things. of their, yes, the little things and the big things. And I think that, um, low, that like messaging made it easier than like email chains where you feel like it's like, now I'm going to write to the group. And this is right. worthy of an email. I would not. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, if a bird poops on my head, I don't think I would do an email. But if a bird poops on my head, I would totally text my friends. That's that's such, I feel like that's great advice of thinking about the venue for it and yeah. how that can actually make a difference. That's that's great advice. Yeah, I heard my, my friend's boyfriend, I didn't do this, but her his, her boyfriend, his childhood friends all like made the same meal and had a video one night and. I thought that was really cute. I mean, that takes a lot more effort and commitment, but it is very like um, cool. Oh, I do have one more thing because I think this is the coolest thing. I mean, it's really not, but it's so simple and fun, which is that my best friend and I did this. Okay. My best friend, when my book came out, sent me like a delivery of groceries and it was like one of every snack we like liked growing up. That's and it so was one sweet. of those. <laughs> it was That's really so cute. And it was also like, uh, it looked like a grocery bag that like a child packed because like who buys like one of this and one, like it was so adorable and it was really, really nice. So I think if you're thinking of someone and you don't want to send them like a gift that you can't think of a gift, then I think like a delivery from a grocery store is like a perfectly wonderful thing to receive. That's so sweet. I love that. That's very thoughtful. Honestly, I like that better than a lot of the advice that the New York Times gave. <laughs> same, same. Answer. Because I'd much rather receive fruit snacks than a postcard. Uh, that would help me stay in touch. But um, yeah, and then the other, like, I think the last good bit of advice is they said, just talk frankly about your friendship. Like, if you feel yourself getting distant from somebody, talk about it. Acknowledge the weirdness. I don't know. Unless it was like a best friend, I think I'd be like, if someone was like, we don't talk so much, I would just make me feel bad. And I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, sorry. I think if it wasn't a good – if it wasn't somebody that you were, like, talking to a lot before, yeah. then I don't know if you would have the impulse to do that. Then you might just be, like, a clingy person. I mean, I feel like there's sometimes a reason, you just, perhaps, like, naturally grow apart. And I think if someone, like, called me out on it, on, like, not being that into <laughs> talking to them, I would just feel kind of, like, shit. I'd be like, oh, sorry, we just, like – I don't know. I'm not like super stoked to talk to you all the time. Although know. sometimes in my experience, conversations like that have been a blessing because I have a really bad habit of staying in touch with people long after the friendship has continued serving me. Uh, but like, like I feel oh. bad. So I just like they're yeah. always like, oh, you want to hang out? And I'm like, I just keep kicking they the just can down the road where I'm like – yeah. Um, okay. So like, FYI, when the person actually ever confronts you, in our podcast. Okay. If you're ever sick of me and our podcast ends and you like don't, you, you, you better tell me so that I'm not that clingy friend. Okay. So what I'll do you, Angela, like, what do you do? Like, um, how do you, cause it's when hard. the person confronts you? Oh no, no. If they don't. Oh, I wait until that happens. <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, like, I think that like. Most people will pick up on the social cues of like, okay, I've asked this person to hang out five times and they've been busy and then they'll still, you know, contact you, but it becomes less often. Mm -hmm. Um, But if somebody directly confronts me, I will try and be as honest as I can without hurting feelings. Because then it's like, all right, it's already on the table. It's already weird. So let's go there. 
nice. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you for just not ghosting. No, I don't ghost. I would never ghost yeah. unless it was a guy that I met once. On unless it was a ghost. Unless it was an actual ghost, which I think I might have in my apartment. My lights keep flickering. It's a whole thing. You want to know what I've been reading? Um, yes. Maybe it's the ghost of the gender reveal explosion in your house. Oh okay, God. I shouldn't that's, laugh. This is a dark very story. very dark. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> this is a New York Magazine story. It's actually very sad, but I guess being pregnant, I'm just like, why are people still doing this? So it's a little like exasperated and sad is how I feel about this new story. Yet another person was killed in a gender reveal explosion, like trying to reveal the gender of their baby. And this keeps happening. So in Michigan, a 26-year-old man was killed when a, quote, small cannon device that was being used for a gender reveal at a baby shower exploded. Like, like truly, like, this is, like, the worst way, one of the worst ways to, like, like, this is supposed to be an exciting thing. You don't want to go this way. So he sprayed metal shrapnel. It struck the man. He was rushed to the hospital. It's very bad. But apparently, like, there's been a trend lately of of gender reveals going horribly wrong. So this was once like a goofy gender reductionist addition to baby showers, they write, Um, but they've become increasingly dangerous and destructive uh, as people have tried to like make them like bigger, bigger things. They used to be like, you cut the cake and inside the cake, it's either like blue or pink. And now people need like things exploding with like blue or pink confetti I feel weird about like making it a big deal about the gender anyways, you know, even though I did want to find out is, am I having a boy or a girl? I didn't do like any big gender reveal. I think I was like considering it for my family. I was like, I was like, should I have my sister like bake some stupid cupcakes? And I was like, no, like what, <laughs> this is like, why? Like, like, what is like, what is it? What does it even mean that like, he's going to be born with a penis? Like, like who, I don't even know what he's going to be like. Like, what's his personality? It might be non-binary. Who knows? I don't want to put any pro- projections on my future child. Um, so I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just said like, I'm having another boy. And like, that's that. That's what's happening. Um, but, but yeah, do you, have you guys had friends? that have had children do like gender reveal parties. I mean, obviously not ones that have like caused giant wildfires, like killed people. Like th- there's been like so many gender reveals that have gone bad. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say is like, this makes me, I read stories like this and I'm like, this keeps happening. Why is this like a phenomenon? But then I'm like, I don't know anybody personally who does anything like this, even like on a small scale. I don't really know that many people that are into doing gender reveal parties, let alone like what was the live alligator one? Like they had an alligator like pop pink and blue balloons. I don't know anyone doing that. So I think that these are hopefully just like few and far between and uh, they're getting in the news when they get out of hand. But I I can't think that this is happening that often. I I only have one friend who has a kid and I don't know what they did for that so I feel like I'm on the I feel like I'm listening to my cool cousins talk about something that I will experience more very soon or hopefully not <laughs> or hopefully not never or never yeah I mean I, I just mean all the baby talk where I'm like oh my gosh okay this is 
like you know there's like and i think people are talking about like marriage that feels like the biggest next hurdle for a lot of your friends people yeah this yeah is making me feel I'm old not. no i don't mean it like that no, no just, i'm just kidding just i'm just truth. kidding no no it is um, the truth this is a matter of life it doesn't even matter i shouldn't even i don't even care wait, like i'm happy where i am okay i'm gonna ask you a stupid question okay because i'm really not that smart with this stuff but how it's just so embarrassing i'm asking this on this podcast because um you know when you're talking about mental health i heard that they're calling like so i don't know how many trimesters that you have in pregnancy but i heard that they have another one that they're calling and it is the post for, the fourth the fourth trimester they're like giving it an official name yes. and i think that's like really smart right because doesn't that ring it i it does nice that there's a chapter there or do you why do you feel about that uh yeah they call it the fourth trimester now and it does kind of really help put things in perspective especially when it comes to caring for the baby because it just reminds me that like oh for the fourth trimester for these first three months the baby would like prefer to not be out of my stomach (laughs) and like and like just like kind of knowing that and being like oh but physiologically like the baby needed to come out because like otherwise I wouldn't be able to give birth and baby would be too big but like to treat the baby like it's still in my belly like keep things dark and quiet like all he wants mm. to do is like sleep eat and like be wrapped up in like jelly or like a swaddle so it is like helpful and then there's more and more talk about like also like the fourth trimester for you and just like taking care of you and your body and like and just kind of giving yourself those three months to like go in a cocoon which is why it was like I get really upset when I think about how badly in America we don't give enough parental leave and like I had a bunch of moms in my mom group like that had to go back to work at like 10 weeks or 11 weeks and I was like what I'm still like a hot mess you know like those first three months like you're still a mess um um but yeah no I like the fourth trimester no 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 strong anti-fourth trimester opinions by me very very pro very pro (laughs) very pro categorizing it I guess yeah helpful it's helpful helpful for the brain um you want uh yeah that's all that i've been reading um and that's we don't need to talk anymore about uh like about pink and blue pipe bombs no (laughs) on that note let's move on to our topic of the week this week's topic is mental health and staying brave so um, we talked earlier on in the podcast about your book. You write about some incredibly, like, these beautiful moments, but also these painful moments, like not being able to picture hugging your mother um, and these other, like, you that, that chapter where you talked about the memories of your mother, like, that one, like, really, really, really got to me. What's amazing is that you're, as a young child, your father – taught you to deal with your mother with compassion and when it comes to mental health that really stuck with me that your dad taught to view all these like really difficult things like she offered you a cigarette as a toddler and like wrecked your family's car but you were taught to view it through the lens of compassion how did that shape your view on mental health do you think now as an adult yeah well firstly it shaped me as a an inward facing five-year-old to just feel like I would be more alone in this world than people I knew. 
And so I think it felt um, at first like I would just need to figure some shit out. And I did. Um, I think that isn't always the best feeling because then you can kind of see the world as like a place you'll always have to be scrappy and like figure out. Um, I think I, so in terms of like viewing her with compassion, it was like, she wasn't able to even help herself and I could see that. And so it just made me, you know, feel like for better or for worse, I'd have to help myself. I think that it. I I honestly have gone through like a lot of phases with understanding my mom because because I think our our relationship with dead people revolves around our maturity ourselves and our understanding of the world and our experiences and so I think I didn't have the most compassion for her until I experienced feelings that I think she experienced and that wasn't until after the Olympics and I think then I really saw her as a human being who had this, you know, illness injury and who did not get great help. Um, and that I realized because I learned about the kind of help she got. And I knew that if I got the kind of help she got, and I go into more detail into the sort of help that she got in, in my book, Bravey, but it wasn't that useful. It was like in the nineties. And so I feel like my best relationship with her is now because now I really understand that like she just unfortunately did not get the help that she, that she might have. Um, <clears throat> something else you talk about in the book that we haven't touched on yet actually is body image stuff, um, which, uh, you know, you're an Olympian. I think a lot of people probably feel like, oh, like I would envy to be that in shape, but you talk about how you were um, embarrassed to be naked sometimes in front of like a boy or something like you felt self-conscious about not being this idea of what we have of as feminine with your body. Um, and we hear from girls and guys constantly that, that have something different that they see about their body that they don't like. Um, and I'm just curious, like what your advice is on getting over that. Yeah. Um, well, it, I think at its like in a really intense, you know, like just like with mental health, like if it is at a certain level of symptomatic, let's just say, if we're like calling the brain a body part, you can help yourself in like more self-help feeling ways. So I think like same with body image, where like at you know at its very early stages, it might be something that you can address by like looking up to someone who looks more like you and has the confidence that you can kind of, um, you know, adopt and, and, and wear by virtue of seeing them be confident. Cause I do think confidence can be like contagious in a good way, but then if it's like the symptoms are worse or like that's not helping, then right. There are probably, you probably also need professional help. Right. So I think like, it's hard to say like what the best advice is, except figure out what's going to be useful for you. And um, I found that like finding mentors, even if you can't be in the same room as them is like the most powerful thing in the world. Like, so podcasts, for example, I've found to be really helpful to me, just like pretending I'm in the room with people that I want to be friends with uh, and just deciding that they're speaking uniquely to me and using your imagination a little bit to believe that it might be true, I think is Cause it is true. I mean, that's what podcasts are for, but whatever's useful, you know, 
I do. Yeah. yeah I like that you bring up podcasts because I, I listen to like, yeah, this parenting expert and then also this like health, um, like it's called the Healthful Women podcast. I really like and I like the Janet Lansbury podcast. And um, and then even with our listeners, like it's funny if somebody in my real life tells me that they listen to our podcast, we talk about this before, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, God, like, no, no, like, like. Like almost like the intimate TMI information I share on the podcast is like it's almost like meant for my special friendship yeah. with listeners that like I don't actually know. And like my and like the things I share on the podcast, like I about whatever, like depression or my body image or like the things I've been through, like are they just feel like way too much information for people I actually interact with in my life and that like I don't I wouldn't want them to like know all of that about me in a way but it's like it's like meant to be shared with this special made-believe relationship that I have with my with my listeners and like I honestly would probably share so much more if I didn't think that like there might be a few people in my actual life that would listen and I don't want them to you know right yeah it's 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 like yeah, yeah. I think about that sometimes with like, be, like my taking my shirt off in a movie that my dad's gonna see. I mean, that's like different, but it's like, no, is that that's same, the same. Really? Um, or even writing the book. Like, I mean, it, I was very nervous for him to to read it, and I read it to him first in person, and that was really important wow. to me um, because I didn't want him to be like hurt or surprised in the bad way. I wanted him to be on board with it. And what I actually found was that he was so unaware of like why my mom died like he didn't understand why her care was not that useful either and so when he saw it through my eyes because he's never been depressed so I don't think he understood exactly like why the kind of care she got wasn't that helpful um and I think it was like a big you know burden that was lifted and yeah what was that like to read it and what was it like to read your book out loud to your dad, especially there's like parts in the book where you say like, yes. that he didn't, he never talked about like a few moments with your mom, like things you witnessed as a toddler and you say, yeah, like, was that hard for you to read out loud to him or like, did he have any, like, I'm sorry, we didn't talk about that more or was there any resolution or was it more that you just needed to read it and that things were, and that was healing in itself? He said that everything was true like but he we didn't have like that moment I don't think he needs to like apologize to be honest like because and I and I think I wrote it in a way where um he understood that I understood why everything had to be the way it was or was the way it was and I think the best feeling is when you put your when you do your best with something um and I truly feel like I did my best with the book and so I was okay reading it to him because I knew that I did my best writing it in a way that I felt would be okay sharing with him and with the world. Because it was was truthful. Yeah, yeah, it was just honest. And um, he, you know, felt, well, and also I I was pretty honest with him when I was depressed. He was the one that really helped me. And so at that point, I was telling him, like, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And, like, nothing is more embarrassing than telling your dad that. So I think I was also broke some barriers during my depression that that it couldn't get much more, like, you know, open than that. And you dedicate the book to him. 
too. Yeah. Which is yeah. beautiful. Um, there's also so much humor sprinkled in your book, despite all the difficult things you went through. Your brother taught you to pee standing up was an LOL moment for me. You thought ovaries were were in the eyeballs was another one. And then one that really stuck with me was that I don't even know if you meant for it to be an LOL moment was when you met President Obama and he because your brother worked with him, right? And yes. And his the thing he said to you when you met him about like instead of just being like, well, you're an amazing athlete, like he goes into this like scientific uh, I don't have the page open right now, but I'm sure you remember. What what did President Obama say to you when you when uh you guys met? It was like he starts going into like lactic acid and like how your body is yes. special. Yeah, I mean that chapter's like a lot about just like the difference between, you know, your born gifts versus your hard work. And I yes. think that's something that every person struggles with at some point is like whether they're I mean, if you're an athlete particularly, you wonder like, what am I am I gifted? Am I not? But and what you know, I think I, I describe it better in the book, but basically it's like uh, he assumed that I am gifted and, and because I'm who I I made it to the Olympics and I had some trouble like absorbing that because I always told myself that it was like hard work, hard work because I can't rely on those gifts. But um, I think what we find is that we're, we are the product of both, right? And I think that that's just the truth. And we can't control what, you know, engine we're born with, but so it's, it's just not that useful for me. It's not that useful to like, think about it because I can't control that. I can only control my hard work. I love that chapter. There's, it's such an incredible book. Everybody has to check it out. Um, guys, that is it for this week's, this is why podcast. Thank you so much to our guest, Alexi Pappas. Her book, Bravey is out now. Please read it. It's just wonderful. You can also find out more about her at alexipappas.com. Check her out on Twitter and Instagram at Alexi Pappas. Um, any other plugs we should tell people about besides where to find you in your book? Uh, well, I think this will come out before South by I'm speaking at South by Southwest about Bravey book with Bill Hader. And I'm really excited about that. So I hope people can tune in if they're a fan of his at the very least. <laughs> That's awesome. We so, love Bill Hader. And I'm honored to be here. Yes. And no. I feel like Angela, you could be like my sister or my cousin. I And you know what? And I think that Jenny's maybe Jenny Slate is like our long lost third sister. Right. And together the three of us can make a great movie together. I see and it. Then, yes. Uh, also, please let Bill Hader know that um, we're married. He doesn't realize it. But oh, yes. Yes. He's, he is my husband. So say hello I'll to him, him for me. Perfect. <laughs> great. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh. And a plug for ourselves while you're putting Alexi's Bravey book uh, into your cart. You can also check out our book, This Is Why You're Single, my new book, Cinderella and the Glass Ceiling, and other feminist fairy tales. We like to encourage you to buy all these books from your local indie bookstores and yeah. And yeah, you can get hooked up with discounts from all of our sponsors for a full list of sponsors and the codes. Check out our podcast page page on this is why the podcast.com. We are also on social. So you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at this is why podcast. Please like and subscribe on iTunes and thank you for listening. Tune in next week for a whole new show. Bye. Bye. This is why, this is why, pop culture, politics, friendship, dating, work, parenting, news. This is why, the podcast. 
That was a HeadGum Podcast.